let's get started here. Okay. Uh, um, good afternoon, everybody, or good morning, good wherever you are. Um, sorry for the late start here. We had a little bit of technical problems on my end getting started. But I am joined today by uh, Stephen Noah of the of the Sporting News to talk the Chicago talk about the the Bulls. Uh, first of all, how you doing? Second of all, uh, this is your chance to tell me how dumb I was for hitting <laughs> the Demar Rosen trade uh, above pretty much any other move this off season, short of the Lakers trading for Russell Westbrook. Well, Seth, I'm uh, doing good. I'm in beautiful New Orleans right now. We're in the middle of Mardi Gras season, so that's a lot of fun. Um, yeah, as far as the DeRozan stuff, uh, he told me before we started recording that I would get to lambast you. I don't, I don't think I'm going to be quite that mean, but you're far from the only person to get the DeRozan signing wrong. Um, I wasn't totally against the signing, but I certainly wasn't like um, enthusiastically for it at the time. So I don't really have too much of a leg to stand on to criticize you. But um, yeah, I mean, he has been completely remarkable. I mean, I'm curious to hear uh, what what your um, stance is on where he belongs in this MVP race. I think that he's pretty definitively, uh, this might be a little bit of Bulls homer, but I think he's like pretty definitively in the top five or six range. Would you agree with that? Um, I uh, So Tim Tim Bontemps, uh, who, who of course did the did the, 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 the forward to my book, so I, I, I kind of owe him uh, votes on these things. Uh, he had it, came out with his straw poll uh, right before the All-Star break. And I think... I don't remember exactly, but I think I voted DeRozan fifth in in in, in the the bottom straw poll. So I I agree with you. That's that's he's not a front runner, but he is sort of in that nebulous in the conversation uh, range. Um, I will say that that it's an inter- that he is an interesting MVP kind of case um, by a lot of sort of the, the 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 more advanced kind of impact stuff. He's been really good, but maybe a cut or two below, like the Embiid, Jokic's players at that level. But then you add in um, uh, sort of the clutch performance. Um, if you look at, like, the uh, win probability added on Unpredictable, he's lapped the field so far this year. He's been, like, uh, seven wins above replacement or something like that in that set. The next closest to someone is, like, three or four. So... Um, you know that that right there is a is a pretty strong argument um, in terms of you know if we play to win the game and his late shot making has been worth you know three or four wins on its own this year um, above the next player uh, that's a pretty big margin. Yeah, I'd even take the over on three to four wins. I mean, um, you know, obviously he had the first back to back. I'm saying three to four above the next closest player. Oh, I see. Okay. Like, yeah, it's been like. You know, every year there's maybe one player who kind of distances themselves. Uh, I think, forget who it was last year, probably someone on Charlotte. Um, and then it's been Dame uh, once or twice in previous years. And that was sort of the the year that Westbrook won because of the triple doubles. The actual mm-hmm. good argument for him would have been his, his clutch performance that year. Um, but that was that didn't seem like that was the argument most people made. But anyway, sorry, go ahead. Uh, um, I, uh, so to get back to to me hating on the signing, I wanted to hate myself <laughs> just a little bit. Sure. Um, in that I didn't, I was not opposed to the addition of him to the team. I thought it was giving too much and too much money, um, because uh, how good a team could he possibly make the Bulls? Um, and that's sort of, uh, while long term that may still play out, it's certainly their their ceiling 
certainly has, was, has been much higher than I anticipated. Yeah, I think what a lot of people might not know if they're not watching every single Bulls game is, you know, you mentioned how important he is in um, this clutch stuff. That I saw that stuff from uh, in Predict as well. And what the Bulls do in these games is um, they basically run everything, everything through uh, DeRozan. Like, he is controlling the ball completely. Um, he is playmaking a lot for everybody else on the team. I saw a, a, another interesting stat from John Schumann uh, over the All-Star break which is um, Zach Levine has like the highest e-field goal percentage out of any player in the league in the last four seconds of the clock. So Levine is giving them a lot in um, those late clock scenarios, but really everything is going through DeRozan. Um, I think that, yeah, it's understandable why people would be a little bit lower on the signing just because some of the stuff you just, it would be impossible to predict. Like his two game winners that I was mentioning before back to back. I mean, those were impossibly difficult shots and to nail both of those. I mean, that just, it's a remarkable season, you know, like, I don't know um, if if he takes that shot a hundred times, I don't know how many times uh, they go in, but the results are the results at this point, the bulls record, um, in previous years, they were a really, really bad clutch team. They've been one of the best this season, and it's pretty much completely because of DeRozan. Like in the games that he's been missing, or the games where teams have put a lot of pressure on the Bulls late in games, they've kind of still had these problems of previous years of just collapsing. But when they get the ball in DeRozan's hands, um, you can just sense like the calm that the rest of the team has, and and yeah, they've just been winning a ton, and it's been mostly because of him and also earlier in the season because of Alex Caruso's incredible defense late in these games too. And um, yeah, their defense has slid with Caruso and ball gone, but they're still kind of treading water with a lot of uh, honestly, like replacement level players uh, playing alongside DeRozan just because of how good he's been. I think that's, you touched on, I think that's the the thing that, that I don't think um, I anticipated was, um, you know, I, I really liked the signing of Caruso. I really liked the the acquisition of Ball. And they seemed like perfect complements to Levine. And then you kind of, you you almost counteract that by adding DeRozan. But then it's actually worked out very well because those two guys, when they have been healthy, offensive pressure completely off of DeRozan and Levine. And, you know, allowed them to be sort of completely off-ball, out-of-the-action players where... Um, they're still, you know, six six and super athletic, and so that that at least gives you something, even if they're not, even if neither of them is especially adept um, in action defenders. Still, yeah, the roster construction has been uh, very very good. And the other thing about Levine too, where DeRozan compliments him so well is, like I mentioned before, um, yeah, just the Bulls' clutch problems in the past. Uh, Levine's been amazing this year, I think people are kind of sleeping on how good he's been. And if you look at his stats compared to DeRozan, they're very similar. The reason why DeRozan is getting this shine is because of just how good he's been late in these games. And when uh, Levine had these same opportunities uh, in previous years, he was just prone to a lot of turnovers and like somewhat poor shot selection. So just that um, getting DeRozan has lifted so much of that weight off of Levine. And he's just such a better decision maker. He never turns the ball over um, late in these games. Then, yeah, like you mentioned, um, these defensive additions, they just, they just uh, like the Bulls players, I think, like up and down the roster, they have a lot of weaknesses, but the way that the front office has assembled the roster has been such in a way that 
those weaknesses can be masked by other players' strengths. So that's I think that's why the Bulls have overachieved uh, so dramatically relative to expectations throughout the league. So this is this is kind of your first year being up close with 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 DeRozan. So maybe this is a um, it, it's it's a tough question in terms of of comparing. Um, you know, is there anything that he's doing aside from just making shots that is is sort of categorically different that that can explain in any way sort of this this late career elevation? <laughs> I really don't have a great explanation. Like, I think that, you know, before he joined the team, I watched um, like 10 Spurs games. So not a ton, but not nothing. And I saw that, uh, I, I predicted that he was going to help them win a lot of games down the stretch. I didn't think it was going to be to this degree. Um, but I think that he's always been a pretty underrated uh, clutch player. And his ability to, I mean, as as we've seen this year, like he can just get a shot off at any time. His Mid-range jumper is impossible to guard because he's going to pump fake between one and three times. If you jump, I mean, he's going to the foul line. He's going to draw contact. If you don't jump, then like you're not getting a good contest on that shot. So that's that's been kind of the secret sauce here down the stretch. Um, yeah, and as far as like the changes between the Spurs, I guess his teammates are. I mean, his teammates are certainly better. So that's part of it. But like the shots he's been hitting have just been insane. I mean, he's been like triple covered sometimes and still gets these things off. So I don't think the shot quality has really gotten that much better necessarily. He's just, um, I don't know. Like he, <laughs> he's just been making crazy shots all year. I mean, that's make or miss league, right? Sometimes uh, there's no more level of analysis needed than that. I, you know, I've, I've done some looking at this and the only thing that I can really see that, that started to change kind of late in his Toronto career and now has kind of continued through San Antonio and now Chicago is when he started to become a, a actually positively efficient player is, was a subtle change in the shot distribution from, he was still taking a ton of mid range shots, but he was moving about 10% of them from, you know, that, that, that 16 foot and out long jumper range into that 10 to 16 foot range. And that's sort of where he, as you say, he kind of gets into his like, you know, his the sort of his version of the Chris Paul office, like at you know fifteen feet from the basket, where he just it seems like he knows that he can pump fake and pump fake and just elevate and drop a shot in over people, and so just qualitatively, the one thing that that strikes me about those shots is even though those are difficult shots, he's very calm, like he's he's not rushed. He's just like, okay, I'm gonna get to my spot and I'm gonna do my thing and there's gonna be an opening and then I'm gonna rise up and and shoot this jumper and, you know, there's nothing you can do about it. Um, and that and that really seems like that, that's that been an addition, just that little subtle change to get to that those spots where he can almost, um, you know, just from a from a two-foot standing start, just elevate over people and, and shoot comfortably. Yeah, um, that may be true. I haven't looked at the data as you have, but the, the one other thing that I was just thinking of that probably has changed is the Bulls under Billy Donovan do a ton of, ton of mismatch hunting for him they'll have their guards set screens like uh when he plays with io or with levine so usually i mean as you'd imagine like the team's best perimeter defender is going to be on derozan so yeah like early in the clock they'll just use a lot of ghost screens or just straight um pick and rolls to to get derozan an easier matchup so while these shots are still really heavily contested they are being contested by 
um, you know, smaller defenders or sometimes um, he'll get a big on him and he'll try to cook those guys. So that, that might be another reason why he's shooting a little bit better on these shots. Sure. That, and that's sort of the, the, the flip side of the, of, of kind of playing three and four smalls is that there's a lot of, there are a lot of chances to get kind of the other team's third or fourth best perimeter defender onto him with that kind of mismatch hunting. Yeah. And the other thing is like the, the problem with that mismatch hunting is that it can burn a lot of clock uh, off the shot clock. I know uh, one of, one of the things you wrote in your terrific book uh, <laughs> that we can drop here is um, like shot clock uh, uh, offensive efficiency drops roughly one point per second on the shot clock you burn. That's correct, right? No, I think it's, it's actually, it's, it's, it, it, it um, in terms of, uh, kind of shooting percentage, it actually drops pretty pretty flatly across most of the shot clock. Then you get into like six or seven seconds left, and it starts to drop precipitously. Um, really, the, the benefit to, to an offense in the shot clock is almost regardless of when you're taking the shot, every second earlier you get into your offense is worth a point of, of okay. offensive rating. So it's sort of the, the Spurs thing they never, where they never really played super fast. They had long possessions but they started their offense at like 16 on the clock. So they, they could get into third and fourth actions in a set. And, you know, I think, I think why that leads to better offense is, is fairly self-explanatory. The more, the more stuff you run, the more chances you have of getting an easy basket because the defense makes a mistake. Right. Well, I mean, the point I was going to make, I guess, was um, like this mismatch hunting can burn a lot of clock, but the Bulls have such good uh, late clock creators. Like I mentioned, Levine is the best in the league, apparently. And DeRozan, too. I mean, he does not need a lot of time to get his shot off. That's why he's so patient, as you, as you said. Like, he's just so methodical, never rushed. Um, so they can afford to, I think, like burn a little bit more clock trying to get that favorable matchup for DeRozan, whereas other teams might struggle with that. So having having sung DeRozan's praises a little bit, let's let's move move around to other parts of the team. I think... Um, really, at the beginning of the season, when when you know up up until they really got really smacked by injuries recently, um, or I guess you know kind of around the turn of the year, um, the biggest concern seemed to be that that Nikola Vucevic was not really performing at at the level expected, and they were almost winning in spite of that. Um, I think that may have been a little harsh, just in terms of how bad their rebounding has tended to be with him not involved. But um, has that turned around at all? And is that sort of something that's helped them at least, you know, stay afloat as they've, they've kind of battled some of these injuries, especially to, to Ball and Caruso? I think anything you say about the first half of Vucevic's season cannot be too harsh. Like he, was, he was terrible. I mean, he just wasn't making any shots. He was doing other things, as you say, like he was uh, rebounding the ball. He was doing what was asked of him in the defensive scheme. But you can't have a positive impact when you're shooting sub 40% as a big man from the field. I mean, that's just crazy. So he has been a lot better um, in the past couple of weeks. I think he's uh, actually like exceeding some of his Orlando numbers. Um, I mean, it's like, I don't know how much use you can get just slicing, you know, kind of an arbitrary part of the season like that, but <laughs> he, he has trended upwards for sure. Thing, but yeah, yeah. It, it sort of, it all counts, but yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, they've been missing Levine in and out of the lineup with this knee stuff. They've just been so decimated throughout the roster. I mean, every single player 
rotation player got COVID at one point, which is uh, just crazy to think about. Um, so they've def- definitely needed um, his offense, and his three-point shooting is still uh, not nearly what it was in the past, but I, th- I believe he's shooting like a career high or something from two over, again, some like cherry pick example I-, I heard on some Bulls podcast. So he has improved uh, in that regard. Sure. So what, have, what to your mind have been some of the other kind of uh, recent developments? I mean, it's the one that stands out to me has been um, Ayodesumo really emerging. I, I, don't, I don't know if he's – I'd have to really look and see if he's going to be a legit, like, uh, rookie, all-rookie candidate. Maybe second team, first team might be a little, little, little far for him. But still, the emergence over the last, would you say, two months of him as a, as a really you know, excellent pickup – uh, for people listening to this that want me to have them on their podcast, I'm going to start a new rule where I am uh, guaranteed at least 10 minutes of speaking time about IO because he's uh, just been, the, the <laughs> he's I, just I, been so awesome. Yeah. Um, completely out of nowhere. Like I, I didn't watch a ton of Illinois basketball. I don't watch a ton of college basketball, but I did watch all the draft profile stuff and, you know, the YouTube videos and whatnot. And the theory was that um, these skills that he had in college, like he was kind of a jack of all trades, master of none. Uh, so while he had good facilitating in college, good isolation scoring, et cetera, et cetera, like it wasn't at the NBA level, so he would have to adjust his role. I mean, it turns out that's like completely wrong. Like all this stuff is good enough to uh, perform at the NBA level. Like his ability to get to the rim has been what has been totally shocking to me. Uh, like there's times during the season where Billy Donovan will call an ATO, have DeRozan as kind of a decoy, and just tell Io to get to the rim, and he's been able to yam on people in that fashion. Uh, his three-point shooting has been uh, unexpectedly good, too. I think he's at 40% on the year, and he wasn't great at Illinois at that. But just uh, the other stuff that I think is a little bit more sustainable, like his um, his passing, he has a really good chemistry with Vucevic in that two-man game. He's led the team in assists on multiple nights. He said. Uh, multiple double-digit assist nights. So these are things that, again, I don't think anybody saw coming, but it, he's been very consistent with it. So, I mean, it's he's definitely given the team a huge boost. He's, like, super fun to watch, super enthusiastic, um, like, always giving really good effort. They've put him on the best offensive player a lot of nights. So his on-ball defense, I think, has been fantastic. Help defense, typical rookies, <laughs> a lot of a lot of mistakes there, but um, overall he's just been like, yeah, one of the brightest spots this season. I did, you, you talk about on-ball on defense. I feel like I've heard Stacey King uh, yell out cookies more times for IO than, than just about <laughs> like, you know, anyone in the league that's imaginable. It seems like twice a game, he, he at least when I've been watching the Bulls broadcast, he's picked someone's dribble. Um, this, this, I, I watched him a little in college. I actually got to my last year with the Bucks. I got to scout him in person a couple times. Um, and uh, I, I kind of random showed up at a game, didn't know much about him. And he had like, I think it was against Michigan. He had like 20 some in the first half. So I was, I was like, Oh, who's this guy? <laughs> um, but, um, the, the thing that stuck out to me is I think he's a, a better kind of, um, um, moving horizontally, like his speed and, and, and sort of burst across the floor is, is he has more athleticism in that dimension than he does sort of as a vertical athlete. Um, and the, the sort of the, the more spaced out nature of the NBA court has really allowed him to use that well. 
Um, you know, the, the Big Ten is not um, noted for being a high spacing environment, um, and you know, especially with some of the other other you know, Illinois had had post players and another point guard who couldn't shoot, and 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 it's just there, there's just more room for him to use that kind of straight line speed effectively. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, that's funny that you mentioned that. He actually had an interview over All-Star Weekend with um, NBC Sports Chicago crew, and that was one of the things that he mentioned was like the biggest adjustment for him was just how much space was out there as compared to the Big Ten. Um, you know, there's no defensive three-second rule in college, so he was up against a lot of zones where the big man was just camping in the paint. Um, I think the other thing about him, too, is like he was a three-year player at Illinois, so... Um, I think there's kind of like a little bit of a stigma against those players and he didn't have quite the level of production that you're used to seeing an NBA prospect in his freshman year. But the little that I do know about Illinois basketball is their coach, uh, Brad Underwood. He changed their offensive scheme uh, pretty dramatically, like later in Io's career to let him run more ball screens. Like they were not, they were, they were one of the like least ball screen heavy offenses early on when he was there. So I think that might be why he got a little bit more shine in his junior year and his stats started to creep upwards. And, you know, obviously like the NBA, like is a ball screen league. So um, that might be why that stuff is carried over uh, more than people would expect when you're, when you're looking at the totality of his career and he's just kind of like a blah prospect early on and then comes on late. I know my, my recollection might be faulty, but, but I remember there being some, minor surprise that he didn't come out after his freshman year because he was sort of borderline first roundish at that point. And then he wasn't quite as good as a sophomore. And then he had a, a, I mean, a pretty good junior year, but at that point, like, as you say, you kind of just the, that two years difference does tend to, 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 uh, you know, make teams shy away a little bit more, but, um, it, but he sort of ended up going around the same spot in the draft as he probably would have had he come out after his first year, but was, he's probably more ready to contribute right away now than he would have been two years ago. Uh, you would know better than me. So yeah, I'm not really sure. I, I, you know, I, it's, you know, that's that, that, that all happened in the before time. So who knows? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I mean, what do you think his his kind of his ultimate, you know, what's a reasonable projection for him as a player, and and what's kind of his his you know ceiling is weird because you know anyone who becomes like a star player probably or many of them probably exceeded their quote unquote ceiling, but what's a reasonable like median and a reasonable say seventy fifth outcome seventy fifth percentile outcome for for him over the next couple of years with the Bulls. I will preface this by saying, like, I, I do feel like I have a pretty good feel on certain players' development, but with Io and Pat Williams, I have no clue, especially Pat. I mean, I think it's impossible to really know what he's going to be. Um, but yeah, if I'm just making an educated guess, I mean, I think it's, I, I think median outcome for Io is a starter. I think he's definitely like a starting level player. 75th percentile outcome is, yeah, maybe like a, I don't know, maybe like an above average starter. I don't. I don't think that's crazy. Well, I'm curious to hear what you have to say, though. Man, it's it's it, the shooting is 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 so important, and being able to to shoot off the dribble is is so important for kind of a player of his skill set to kind of go beyond sort of you know good role player with, 
of that, you know, first guard off the bench or kind of fifth starter, um, you know, fifth starter playing with a kind of a, a ball dominant wing or two. It seems, um, you know, as with most, you know, non elite prospects, kind of what, where, and with who he ends up with is, is a pretty big, is a pretty big, you know, hinge point in, in, in how he ultimately progresses. But yeah, no, I think that seems that seems about right. I mean, it's, if he is a, you know, if he is a high thirties three point shooter who can maybe hit him off the dribble a little bit, yeah, like, you know, an above average starter, a top seventy five ish player, that doesn't seem outlandish. Um, I don't know if he's got the sort of the pop to to get to to a lot more than that, but you know, stranger things have happened. Sure, I think the one thing that he has going for him is he seems to have the mental makeup. Like a lot of the previous Bulls uh, rookies that didn't really pan out, I think that they had a problem moving on to the next play. He certainly doesn't do that. Uh, He's had some pretty big mistakes in games, um, and then he just goes on to the next one and plays extremely well. That was another thing he mentioned on this uh, Bulls Talk podcast is just the the amount of games as compared to college. Like you just, you you have an immediate chance to rectify your mistakes so that's a good thing and then um his willingness to just soak up advice from veterans like he's constantly around DeRozan asking him questions um yeah and he has said many times in the media that he wants to be like a sponge and uh, is not reticent at all to approach players and ask them for advice so I think that's great and that's um that's what that's what you want to see from players if they want to make big jumps in development I, I think that I'm, I'm glad you say that the, you mentioned the sort of the move on to the next play because he at least over the last two months has struck me as perhaps the most aggressive lob thrower in the league <laughs> among them. Like, Jabari Parker's not in anymore. He was pretty pretty aggressive with his lobs. Um, it, um, uh, maybe just bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but no, but but there, he's he's thrown some very optimistic ones, but that that at times, especially when you're playing with. You know some of the athleticism that the Bulls have. Um, some, a lot of them have, have sort of come off. Um, but he doesn't. He does not seem to get discouraged by the one that occasionally like rockets off the backboard or ends up in the in the sixth row. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean he's uh, he certainly made some like, early on in the season. It was just a total roller coaster with him. I mean he would have three amazing plays and three horrible plays and just nothing in between. And that has trended for sure uh, more towards just like a, a normal <laughs> level of play with some great plays thrown in there. He still does make the occasional mistake, but uh, his growth throughout the season has just been remarkable to watch. So you mentioned the other kind of uh, Bulls youngster who is who's obviously with given you know uh, his his relatively limited role last year offensively and the you know missing almost the entire season this year is is Patrick Williams. And and so that there's sort of two questions there. One is just about him specifically. And the other is, and maybe we'll start with this one is the bulls were a team that seemed like they, they could make a trade. They could make a move at the deadline and they just, they, they kind of stood pat. Um, why, what do you think the reasoning was behind that? I think the asking price was just too high. Um, I think that they are pretty high on their team. Like um, they got a lot of flack recently for using this uh, biannual exception on Tristan Thompson, but I think that's just a sign that they uh, they have been super aggressive this year, uh, upgrading their team. I mean, especially in the off season, not really 
trade deadline when they didn't do anything. But yeah, I think that uh, they think they can um, they can go pretty far this year, and um, I think it also obviously shows that they're high on Patrick Williams. But overall, just yeah, the, the price on those bigger names was was probably not something they were willing to pay. So, first of all, is Patrick Williams going to be going to be back this season? And what do we expect from him, both the rest of the season and going forward? It seems like it's it, there's a lot of interesting stuff there. He's obviously he's he's a um, extremely large human being. Is <laughs> 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 the biggest is the biggest takeaway from him? But I but I don't know if we have a great sense of what he is as an NBA player. Um, in part because we we didn't really have a good, great sense of what he was as a player, kind of coming into the league. Um, and sort of the the way Florida State plays can kind of do that, where they're so egalitarian, you don't necessarily get a great sense for for any one player. Yeah, to answer the first part of your question, Billy Donovan has stated that we should expect him back by the end of the regular season. So, um, yeah, he will contribute there in some respect. And as far as what to expect from him. I think that he definitely got um, a lot of entitlement minutes in his rookie year. And I mean, why not? Because the Bulls were not a great team. And then he started this year too. I would expect him to um, move back to the bench just because Javante Green, uh, who's been starting in this place, has been pretty solid for the Bulls and gives them a little bit more reliability. Um, yeah, Pat has been a good three-point shooter on very low volume. He's been way too hesitant on offense, which has been problematic because he can cause a lot of record scratches when he gets the ball. And then defensively, you know, you mentioned he has the size. Um, I think he's been okay, like as a one-on-one defender, but again, like Io, he has a tendency to have some breakdowns and help defense, not quite understand all the rotations that he needs to make. So like if the Bulls are trying to go as deep as they can, which it seems like, and with the Eastern Conference just so ridiculously bunched up. I mean, they need every single win they can get. They have the second hardest schedule, according to various metrics, uh, and after the All-Star break. So, yeah, they. I, I don't think they can afford to give him these entitlement starting minutes anymore, but he can He can help the team. I mean, they're as I mentioned before, their depth has been so bad. So, and this, I mean, it's especially kind of upfront. I mean, the fact that, you know, say what you will about using the biannual on, on Tristan Thompson. And actually, you know, that, that's something that people have criticized, but um, wondering, do they want to hard cap themselves next year by using, so it's almost like I can, I can very much see them deciding, you know what, we're, we're not actually going to, we're going to use the, you know, the, the, the taxpayer mid-level next year and not go with the bi, with the biannual because, you know, they're, we don't want to hard cap ourselves in case we, you know, moves are available. Maybe that's just me, you know, putting myself in the head of, 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 of their front office. But I mean, the fact that that Thompson, who is, I don't want to say washed, but pretty washed at this point, <laughs> that, he, that he that he does give them more from a backup five perspective than they've probably gotten this year. I think that illustrates the degree to which having Williams back could possibly help. Well, that's another thing too. Is before. Pat got hurt. Um, Billy Donovan was playing him at small ball five in very short spurts, just experimenting with it. But I think that that does kind of make sense for a future role for him. And what they've needed from their fives, uh, this is why Vucevic has been so vital, is they need a guy that can play make out of the short role because DeRozan and uh, Levine are getting so much attention. They're getting so many doubles that, um, yeah, they need that release valve there and that like Draymond type of role. 
Tony Bradley is maybe <laughs> the worst ball skills out of uh, any center in the league. And um, Tristan Thompson, certainly like I, I watched a little bit of Tristan Thompson and he can make basic passes. Like he can hit cutters, um, but he, I don't think he's really skilled in that role either. So um, yeah, uh, Derek Jones Jr. is another guy they've tried at that small ball five spot who gives them a little bit more. But Pat is probably, if he can hold up, like he would, he would be their their best option on the roster. And it, you even for this year, not just not just speaking of going forward, but yeah, like specifically for this playoff run. Sure. So let's. I mean, that's a, that's a good transition. Like, um, what are expectations for? You know, we're we're you know just about what are we about six weeks away from uh um or maybe a little bit longer than that but we're we're not too far away from from the playoffs uh from the end of the regular season here so um what are kind of what are expectations for the rest of the season and then heading into the playoffs what counts as a success um it, the bulls are in a very i, I had uh, chris harrington uh, uh, covers the grizzlies on yesterday and it's a little bit of a similar thing like the what would have been considered a success at the start of the year and what's con- would be considered a success now are probably different things. So what what uh, what are what, again? What's a reasonable expectation, and what's sort of a stretch goal for them heading into the the, the stretch run in the playoffs? I think a reasonable. I think most Bulls fans will be happy if they got out of the first round, and that's going to be so tough to do just because of how good the Eastern Conference has gotten and how much parity there is. I was uh, I'm working on something over at Sporting News trying to predict like the finish order of the top eight and uh you know the bulls are tied with the heat for first right now um because of how many injuries they have i think they're probably going to drop into like the four to five range in seating but the good news is um they're going to get lonzo ball and alex cruiser back i think the most recent timeline is sometime mid-march so they should be better in better shape for the playoffs um as far as like high-end outcomes go uh, like I said, I think that the East is just so evenly matched that most of what happens in this year's playoffs is going to be just like a factor of luck. Like that's what happens when um, you don't have one opponent. Even when you do have an opponent that dominates another, I mean, I think luck plays a much bigger factor than people give credit for. So I think it's uh, it's not completely unreasonable to think that the Bulls can make it to the conference finals. I don't I don't really know that they can go all the way at this point, but... Um, yeah, first first round, um, going past the first round would be great. I think that, uh, yeah, basically, who knows? <laughs> so it's, I mean, it, as you're saying, it's it's going to be a lot about matchups. Um, who, are, which, which are some of the other Eastern teams that you think are good matchups for them, and which are which are ones that they'll struggle in? Like, sort of regardless of of kind of how you perceive the the relative in a vacuum team strength, like who you know obviously the one that that strikes me like just off the bat as might be a tough matchup for them are uh, both Milwaukee and Philly just because of that sort of weakness in the interior against two of the two of the the better interior scorers in the league and and beat in Giannis I actually don't think they're going to be in that bad shape against the Bucks. They've only played once. It's going to be super interesting the rest of the year. They play three more times, and that's going to determine like who sits where at the end of the year seating. I agree with you that the Sixers are a terrible matchup for them. They're 0-3 this season against them. 
Um, so that's probably the matchup I'd least like to see. I think everybody in the East is basically hoping they draw the Cavs, even though the Cavs have been um, such a good team. They're tied for third in the in the East right now. Um, you just look at everyone else, and it's like, well, I mean, I guess by process of elimination, we want the Cavs. Yeah, that that makes sense. Or maybe maybe the you know someone like the the, the Hornets sleep sneak into the the back end and. <laughs> But yeah, no, I mean, the, the fact that even getting the first seed could possibly end up, you, you play the suddenly healthy Nets in the first round. It makes, it makes the, you know, even, even sort of trying to game the, the seedings in the East kind of a, kind of a weird situation. Yeah. Who do you, who do you think is like the, if, I mean, if you were just any of these teams aside from the Cavs, who would you want to face? Heat, Bulls, Sixers, Bucks, Celtics, Raptors, Nets, I guess the Raptors, but. Aside from that, like those six teams are pretty brutal. Yeah, um, I mean, just because of the like, so many of the players just are uh, don't have don't have the reps. You kind of would would want to say, you know, and the ones that do, like Vucevic, has never been a good playoff performer. Um, so, like... well, I think he did have a good series against the Bucks, but I mean, they lost that series in five games. Yeah. So, I mean, they, you know, it's. Yeah, I mean, it, it, certainly in any sort of competitive playoff series, he, he just hasn't really been in any. Sure. Um, so I think that the Bulls would probably um up there among teams that I mean, it's I, you know, I think we I think we 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 might have exchanged like messages about this, but I, I sort of felt guilty. Is uh, it was before they played they played uh, uh, Brooklyn in the game that I believe that was the game Levine hurt hurt his knee right. Um, and it was a close game at halftime, and then they got just destroyed in the second half. Um, mm-hmm. And that afternoon, I was like, what would have to happen for the rest of the season for the Bulls to be considered a favorite in the uh, Eastern Conference? And since then, it seems like they've just been beset by you know injuries and, and, and things like that. But even at that point, they had the best record in the conference and were you know the, one of the best stories in the league. And there was still just this feeling that there was nothing they could possibly do for people to really trust them going into the postseason. I think it's insane that they're still in first place. Like nobody nobody has really talked about this. They're tied with the Heat for the best record in the East. And um yeah, they've had like half of their team. So that's that's so impressive to me. I I don't know how they've done it. I've watched all the games. I mean, you know, it's a lot of a lot of DeMar DeRozan making jumpers. Yeah. <laughs> is so I think it is fair to wonder how sustainable that is. Like he can't, I don't know, he can't keep on hitting. What did uh, Luca joke? He hits like nineteen out of twenty every game. Yeah, it's not, uh, it's not quite that. But he's, I mean, he is shooting something like mid fifties from from mid range this year, and and obviously that's carrying over into the into the uh, in, into late game situations. Um, are there any other kind of stories burbling underneath? I mean, I think Kobe White has been sort of an on-and-again, off-again kind of interesting bench score for them? What, um, you know, is, is he just someone who some nights he has it, some nights he, does, he doesn't, and if he's not making shots, it's maybe it's, maybe it's not your night tonight? Or, or you know, is he someone who can, who can swing a playoff game or two? I think Kobe is a great example of, you know, signal and noise, right? Like, he, the, just the way that he plays, he shoots so many three-pointers, and there's just so much inherent variance there that when he gets on a hot streak, uh, people are likely to say, you know, he's finally turned the corner. Like this guy is going to be, you know, a, a solid starter. And then when he inevitably goes through 
these streaks where um, he can't hit anything. He's I think he started the year shooting like sub 25% for a couple weeks on threes. People say like, oh, you know, we got to trade this guy. But I mean, that's just, that's who he's going to be for his whole career when most of his shots come from the three-point line. Um, so I, I do think that he's gotten a little bit better playmaking, a little bit better defensively, but he started from such a low bar there that um, I think he's still like pretty below average on that end. So but, I mean, like, it, go ahead, sorry. You know, it's a very, very kind of Terrence Ross career uh, trajectory. Maybe not, maybe not the athlete, but probably a better ball handler than, than Ross ever was. But that kind of, on a given night, he can look like you know the best offensive player in the league. But that's just a given night. Yeah, I mean, he has been playing better recently, um, but he's yeah, he's just going to be super streaky. I think like his whole career. Sure. Um, you know what? Uh, what else do you think? You know that that. Uh, we, we should know about the Bulls. Again, I, I've, I've probably watched about as much of them as, as any team on the league pass, but it's still not following them kind of day-to-day, night-to-night. Um, have, have people in Chicago, have you been pretty satisfied with kind of the uh, sort of the in-game uh, tactical stuff that, uh, that, that Billy Donovan is doing? Yeah, I think Billy has done a great job. He's put players in very strange roles that end up working, like uh, Derek Jones Jr. I mentioned he's small off five. Like, I don't think he'd, done much of any of that at all in his career um yeah even dating back to last year like thad young making him this short role wizard that was a new career role for him javante green he was a shooting guard for most of his career now he's playing power forward and he's doing great in that role so just putting guys in a position to succeed i think billy has been uh very very good at that especially considering uh, who he replaced is that was kind of like the old guy's weakness um the one thing I'll say about Billy that's kind of weird is like he never uses challenges. Um, so that's one area where it would be nice to see a little bit of improvement. Um, and just like uh, going back to what you said before, like one storyline, I, th- I think the biggest storyline with the Bulls is their defense. Um, how good is it? Like they were top 10 for most of the year when they were healthy. And then they were, I think they're worst in the league um, since having some of these injuries. So that ends up to being around 20th. So can they get back to that level when they get healthy for the playoffs? That's going to determine how far they go. That's, I mean, I think that is my, is my biggest worry as an observer is their defense when successful is so kind of predicated on making sure that Ball and Caruso are on the other teams, are, you know, are, are defending primary actions as much as possible. And that seems like the kind of thing, I mean, that is the kind of thing that that teams can be very aware of and try to, you know, scheme around. You mentioned the the Bulls doing a lot of stuff to try to get um, DeRozan mismatches kind of late in games with, with you know, kind of fake screening action, stuff like that. Um, I think you're pro- you can probably expect to see a lot of that coming back their way to try to get DeRozan into the action, to try to get Levine into the action. Um in, in, in the postseason, and and, it's, and I think teams will be better able to kind of suss out the actions that allow them to do that, um, which which will you know allow them to sort of tilt their offenses away from Caruso and Ball. I would push back on that a little bit. I think DeRozan is terrible uh, both on and off Ball. Like he gets blown by a lot. I think Levine is actually okay on Ball, and then getting those guys Caruso and Ball off the Ball. They're uh, they're really amazing help defenders. I mean, that's why the Bulls' defense uh, and offense was clicking so well. Is those guys are just turnover machines, and the Bulls um, 
turnover, the amount of turnovers they've been forcing from opponents has dropped off a cliff since they uh, got hurt. So I think that, um, yeah, if you want to keep those guys off one side of the floor, like it's basically going to be like Revis Island on that side. You know, the ball's just not going there, which it's not a bad thing. Sure. No, but I, I but I do think that the playing against you know uh, playoff caliber and especially high like the the sort of high level of most teams that they're likely to face in the East, just getting one of those guys away from the point of attack will will kind of expose some things. Like yeah, Levine has certainly been, he's been better and and maybe even too solid. But you know if you you putting him at the point of attack against you know. Pick a pick a guy um, who's a, like a primary creator on an Eastern Conference team. Like you know, he ends up he ends up guarding Jason Tatum in a primary action. Mm-hmm. That's you, you'd probably rather have you you'd much rather have Cruz or a ball there. I think is is fair to say. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think also like we might be giving a little bit of short shrift to uh, Javante Green. He's been extremely good on ball and. Um, also solid off ball as well. So that's like three guys. I mean, I think you are right that they can, other teams can kind of pick on Levine and DeRozan, but um, I mean, they do have some pretty good defensive players around him. No, he, I mean, we do have, I mean, I think you, you've mentioned his name a couple of times, but like Javante Green going from a, oh man, there's a lot of this guy getting minutes. Uh, that's, that's a problem for Chicago to him being like a legit rotation player has been a, a pretty nice story for the yeah. season. He's kind of this year's Bruce Brown in terms of that's a weird role for him to be playing, but he's making it work. That's a really good uh, comparison. I had not thought of that before, but yeah, that fits very well. I mean, very, very different style of player, but, but, uh, but kind of ends up doing some similar things. Yeah. I mean, the role that he's carved out, I don't think he could mimic it on other teams. And it just happened to be that the Bulls needed the things that he's really good at, but um, it's worked out. Yeah. It's definitely worked out for them. Um, we've talked about the defense a little bit. What are your heading towards the postseason? What are are kind of the worry points for them offensively? Mm, I mean, I think that you still have to worry about Vucevic. Like, I think that his problems at the beginning of the year were largely mental because the shot quality he was getting was very good. He was just missing like he was missing bunnies, like two footers wide open. So he's gone through streaks. Like this current streak that he's on where he's um, doing really well. I mean, he still had some terrible games mixed in there. You never know if he's just going to revert back to this uh, mental block that he had. That would would be the biggest concern offensively. But other than that, I mean, maybe you could say like this team still doesn't shoot a lot of threes, which um, is kind of concerning. But they've been so good offensively. They have such great isolation scores in Levine and DeRozan that I'm I'm not super worried about the offensive side of the ball. I'm more worried about how the defense is going to hold up. Sure. That makes sense. Um, cool. I, I mean, um, I think we've kind of covered everything that I wanted to, to talk about. Um, is, is there anything else that, 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 uh, you know, I gave you, I feel like I didn't give you the full 10 minutes on IO. So if there's, <laughs> if, there's, if there's any of that time you would like to reclaim to, to, to uh, mention something else about anything else about the bulls you think is particularly interesting so far. It's hard to like come up with deep hitting analysis of Io because you just watch him and he does stuff and you're like, this is amazing, <laughs> and that's uh, about as far as it goes, you know. So uh, I, I think I spoke enough on him, but if you haven't watched him, I mean, go watch some highlights of him. He's been so fun to watch. 
it, I, I, I second that. I think he's been one of, one of the, real, the real fun stories of kind of this calendar year in the NBA, sort of under the radar. Absolutely, yeah. He would definitely go higher than 38 in a redraft, I'll tell you that much. Uh, yes. Um, so before I get you out of here, why don't, you, why don't I give you a chance to sort of uh, plug the stuff you're working on and uh, tell people where they can find your work? Yeah, I'm writing for the Sporting News now. Um, I'm doing a weekly feature called Hidden Gems. It usually comes out on Tuesdays. It's profiling some of the lesser-known players in the league. I, not even lesser-known, just guys that don't get written about a lot. So this players like in the 40 to 150 range. Um, and uh, other than that, yeah, I write a couple times a week there. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter, at Steph No, if you're not already doing that already. Uh, what are some of the what are some who are some of the guys you've you've covered in the past in that in that and uh, if you can give a hint of as who you might have coming up? I have to pick somebody today, so I don't know who the next guy is. But it's guys like Jared Vanderbilt, uh, Jakob Pertl, oh, so Jalen Brunson, the, the, the Seth the, the Seth Sky All Stars. Basically, <laughs> <laughs> you say Kenrich Williams. I'm gonna <laughs> Kenrich is a little bit too um, not well known. But uh, yeah, my, my Jared Vanderbilt story that my editors were joking, like, can anybody even name what team he's on that's going to read this? And I was like, probably not, but they should. I mean, people should know who this guy is because he's super fun. Yeah, I've, I've said this before, but his uh, year at Kentucky, he, he only played about 17 games, but he literally broke my draft model because he rebounded so much. Um, basically, like, rescaled the historical rebounding numbers. Because his 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 numbers were, were were so outlandish, especially for a non you know a non big, um, but yeah, well cool. Yeah. Um, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say he was he was actually number one in Nate Silver's uh, model that year too, and Nate had to completely adjust his model to <laughs> calibrate for him. So you weren't the only one. Well, because he, I mean, he did sort of in any sort of in in sort of the old formulation of box plus minus, it was. Uh, a big component was kind of uh, rebound rate times assist rate. And he had a pretty high assist rate as well, even though, like, couldn't score at all, couldn't hit free throws. But because of that sort of combination of stats and, and you know, he was young and was a, a, a decently high, highly ranked recruit was something that, you know, was, was sort of custom made to ping draft models, essentially. So... I think I may have lost Stephen. Uh, this occasion happens when someone gets a phone call at the end. But uh, I want to thank him a lot for coming on. And uh, thanks for listening. And I am back tomorrow um, for what should be a rowdy episode with my good friend Eric Name, the Athletics uh, Bucks beat writer. So thanks for listening and talk to you all tomorrow.